0: So we're doing live shots just like broadcasters are. And uh, we're in all those same places. And yet outside the Beltway, and again, that perception is fine because we're able to make rent.
1: Mainstream journalists don't have an exclusive access to news and events. There are other entities out there gathering the same information for different purposes. And they face many of the same challenges and some different ones as journalists face in reporting the news. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Michael Kirby is the managing editor of the Federal Network here in Washington, D.C. FedNet has made a name for itself by providing multimedia coverage of all congressional press conferences, hearings, Senate and House floor debates. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Great to be with you. So I imagine you probably do a little bit more than that. Tell me what FedNet is and you know what makes it a different type of uh, media
0: outlet. It's a B2B. We provide two news organizations. Okay. So consumers and the public and actually movie viewers may have actually seen our stuff and yet not known it was us. So we source video to redistributors. We take requests from movie houses, production houses. We've done a lot with a number of different TV shows over the years. And even podcasting in the earlier years. uh, Folks here in D.C. may remember the McLaughlin Group. We did their podcasting for a number of years. We'd get their master tapes and republish those for the net. And then besides video, we found in the last couple few years that words were of just as much interest to those who wanted the video to know what was happening in the video as well as uh, the transcript business. So it really started with video, but, of course, video is just a medium.
1: Yes. You know, as a, as a podcaster, I can tell you one of the challenges – of digital audio is that it's invisible you don't know what's in it unless you play it so having good transcripts is a great resource if you want people to read what the content is if you want to be able to pull quotes if you want to edit the audio you know get a good transcript so you can go through the document and say yeah i think you can pull these sections out it saves you a hell of a lot of time
0: <laughs> well, of course there's legal merit to all that yes that people saw you know for instance in the molar report there were a number of transcripts that had come out of our shop that uh, ended up in there. Now that's verbatim, and what we're up to these days isn't as much verbatim, but really more raw materials to assist in the news gathering process. And what we found with what we're up to these days is that we're in a position where the words beat the video, which was never the case. And it was really helping reporters to do what they need to do, because the gathering process is the longest part. And journalists hate transcription. It's long and tedious, and it takes up time. And of course, editors want to be more efficient with that. So where FedNet exists is in that nexus of media and politics and news, yes, but also in the means of distribution and delivery, because everything we do is basically right off the horse's mouth when you talk about getting it somewhere for someone to do something with it.
1: Right. And, you know, when I worked at Federal News Radio and we would have to write up stories for the web, you know, one of the things we do, we would run audio on it. We would record a, a hearing or whatever. We'd, we'd make notes of when there were certain sections of it about what time to go in and we'd have to go in. And, and occasionally we would have to get a full transcript to assist us in our writing and our coverage of the event because we want to make sure we have the words right. Words matter.
0: Words matter. But I also remember – I had pulled a number of different quotes as part of a Teaching Congress project that I had done for teachers. And I felt that I was on two paths that were in parallel. And I call it the hot-cold game, one uh, challenge that reporters and you know obviously librarians and archivists also face. When you talk about opening up the media, you have to do that really through words. That is the meat and potatoes. It's going to help you find the place. And so rather than two rudders that are sort of independent, like, oh, I went too far. I've got to go back a little bit. You know, reporters care about words. Lawyers care about words. But by the same token, multimedia journalists care about words at a time. So broadcasters, you know, care about time codes and that sort of thing. And that has also kind of driven where we are headed apart from the transcript business or even the video business independently.
1: Is you seen how digital consumption has sort of evolved over the last you know, couple of decades and this idea that it was originally sort of text and you, you started to get some video and some audio in there that people had sort of different uses for the, for the different mediums and how to consume them. And you know things like YouTube, you know C-span where you, you were able to get get video that you can consume, figure out how you know, how can I take snippets of this and, and put it into story? How, how can I use this to enhance my storytelling? The audience come to expect so much, I think.
0: Depends on the audience. So FedNet came out with searchable video over 15 years ago, fully searchable of the House and Senate floors, gavel to gavel, within 10 minutes of the spoken word. And that's 15 years old. The innovation that has come along again with sort of the means of delivery, it was with the 2012 State of the Union that we provided the first broadcast strictly to mobile devices and of course mobile video is now ubiquitous thanks to YouTube as you say and and some of the others so we often find that it's a small shop it's not a big team but one time uh, you know here being from the DC area I used to go to the car shows every year religiously with my father and my uncle one time I asked the sales guy from Toyota about innovation with the engines and biomaterials and that sort of thing and where he went was we wait for the small guy to innovate, and then we'll either buy them out or adopt that technology once we see it sustainable. So there's some risk-taking and some agility that we're able to bring to the news marketplace, again, for news organizations rather than for public consumption in a way.
1: So as you said before, this is a, a business-to-business model. So you're you're gathering this information and you're – presenting it to your customers, news organizations or whomever, you know, subscribes to your service, obviously you're not political necessarily, you're not partisan, you're just picking this stuff up and you're sort of moving down the pipe.
0: It's newsworthiness, right down the line. There are things that I have to train my editors for, and that's another one about this nexus between words and text. When you're able to read through something, you're able to isolate or find patterns, or certainly in political speech, there's a lot of repetition and it's easy to miss in sort of the monotonous tones. You know, It's not usually very excited speeches that you hear yelling and screaming and so on. Occasionally it is, of course, but that criteria is really my lodestar, at least. One time I did a longitudinal review of our own Twitter feed of the videos that I was putting out through social and found that over the course of the year, it was right down the line, 50-50. Of course, journalists have to leave their opinions at the door. I think that argumentation and the logic that you hear, for instance, with the impeachment case being developed against the president, appeal to certain ears, sort of like honey or music to your ears. And, and of course, you have to turn that off also. But as far as a B2B, you know, one thing about FedNet that maybe other organizations don't have, and they may be more popular or well-known, you know, outside the beltway. We don't really stress that, right? You I think any business wants the right audience to know that they exist, uh, sort of an 80-20 rule where 80% of your business actually comes from some few clients. And uh, that's not bad, of course, in, in any marketplace if you're selling insurance or anything else. Uh, but it's a diverse business. So the video goes to a number of different destinations, right? Anybody can come to FedNet.net and watch the live stream of uh, you know what we're covering that day. Uh, but... Similarly, what we end up doing with that video may go out to redistributors. Uh, We'll take requests. We do stand-up production. People see reporters on the air. We do that sort of thing also with the connectivity we have across the capital complex. So we're doing live shots just like broadcasters are, and uh, we're in all those same places, and yet outside the Beltway. And again, that perception is fine because we're able to make rent.
1: So when you do your live shot, would you describe these as sort of a journalistic adventure? Uh, adventure? Would you sort of describe these as a journalistic venture? What, you're doing a stand-up?
0: It's a service. It's not going to be a FedNet reporter. Uh, the talent, as they call it, would be with the newspaper or a TV station, maybe out of town. They have somebody visiting for State of the Union or the inaugural or some issue that they're covering. And uh, so just think uh, who's behind the camera and how that signal Uh, gets out to where it needs to go
1: okay so how did you get into this gig you've been there for what like 11 years I think you said
0: yeah since May 2008 seems like ages ago so So how
1: how did this happen what was the path that took you there
0: so like any kid at first I wanted to be a fireman like my dad and then I wanted to be an architect and then I wanted to pursue the law and I was a paralegal in a couple different places before coming to FedNet Uh, at that time uh, there was a studio and this thing called searchable video, which seemed like an interesting concept. I'd had an interest in Congress for a number of years. I remember watching the, the steroids and baseball hearings kind of on in the background, the nighttime rebroadcast as I was doing uh, work towards my philosophy degree, which, again, how did we it's get here? Very useful. My mom's glad I have a job still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So I I get up to the Hill, and I was taken with the institution, Uh, ended up needing to learn a lot about procedure, how a bill becomes a law, as it were, and then as it actually occurs in reality, because that guides so much of my day. Uh, My day is so much about timing, because events are at least scheduled to start at a time. And so producers and media people need to be in place. They need to have their technology in place, set up your you know, recorders and so on, schedule things and be there on time. So when I know there's a vote, I can go and take lunch. But by the same token, I've got to be in place sometime before uh, that opening gavel falls.
1: Yeah, because you never know when somebody's actually going to arrive and whether they are going to need to leave early or if it's going to go later. What's surprised you the most about covering Congress?
0: Well, and you asked why I've stayed up there as long as I have. I'm not sure. It's for everyone. I wouldn't wish it on my f- worst enemy, although you you need a love for it. And, you know, part of the bug for me was that it is action central. You know, every day you never know what you're going to learn because there's what is being discussed. And, you know, apart from the personalities and the colorful figures and so on, there is what's being discussed. And and it's easy to miss, kind of have a lecture quality to them. So even my editors were doing maybe appropriations bills in the House, and it'll be what you never thought you'd learned about locks and dams today. And it takes up hours and hours of debate on amendments. And yet I still need to anticipate where that's going to go next and what that would mean for our coverage. And so every day is interesting. There's no question about it. And I already know. I've known for a long time. It would be hard to part with that and get out to the real world where – or at least the world outside the Beltway where maybe things are a little less interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, some of those people who live outside the Beltway don't have a real appreciation for the nitty-gritty of what's going on. They, they kind of see the, the theater, I think, of Congress, of uh, what's going on in Washington, but they don't always actually see the process, the things that are actually going on in, in all these different rooms and, and the issues – that seem on some sense, maybe even mundane, but actually have incredible impact on a lot of people.
0: There's something for everybody. Yeah. There's no question about it. Whatever your interest may be, you know, foreign affairs, the domestic stuff, you know, the things certainly that you hear about in maybe a more mass media or traditional media channels, that's certainly sure, but by the same token, some niche project that's, you know, taking place in your district and so on that is affecting your life, that's still there. The need for... And educated public is still there. A lot of those principles are still true. And so to witness it is, uh, it's still a treat. I walk through the Capitol every morning.
1: Well, where are your offices located? Are they in the Capitol?
0: I'm in uh, one of the media workspaces. I mentioned the connectivity that we have. And this is just a transport signal, basically. If it's from one of our cameras, we at FedNet are one of a couple dozen broadcasters that actually receive that signal from the House and Senate which is part of why anybody gets to watch the House and Senate. There was a compromise, and the House and Senate actually control their own cameras. So in that sense, FedNet is on par uh, with the other broadcasters, but the place uh, and the people that come through it, we have robo-cameras in a couple of the studios, so you might see me remotely controlling those while streaming, while editing, and so on. So my, my nickname lately is Octopus. Octopus.
1: So what is it? I mean, there are probably a lot of reporters out there um, young reporters who want to come to Washington want to cover big stories they want to cover congress what you know what would you say to them? What is the experience like?
0: I have the luxury of being a generalist, and typically reporters don't get to do that, but for the fact that the bureaus have almost been decimated, just as the news industry has. I saw a piece the other day that half of the staffs have been cut since I started at FedNet. So that's an issue, which is actually a nice excuse for journalists to be, you know, there's something to be said for being a beat reporter, having expertise, because then you can knowledgeably engage a member or a staff person or even the experts around town if you're looking for counterpoint and context, if you're a budget person or, you know, Middle East or defense matters and that sort of thing. But I get to be a generalist in the sense that I just hear it all. (laughs) And that's, you know, again, that's a luxury and it's something that is uh, uh, tough to part with. But if someone's coming into town, they should probably start as a specialist because I have to imagine they're going to work for an organization and even freelance folks tend to have a beat and they're going to find, I think, the quickest success in this town and the climate as it is by covering those issues very closely because they're going to get to know the players also. So, again, if you're a budget person, knowing the, the roster on the appropriations committees and who to deal with on the subcommittees if you're doing locks and dams and ports and water issues and that sort of thing. Now, the students coming out of even graduate programs, even in journalism schools, here are not trained per se in a topic as much as they are in the practice of journalism. Apply that to something you know or can learn quickly about.
1: So we're speaking a few days after the impeachment hearings wrapped up. What impeachment hearings? What impeachment? Yeah, like like that hasn't been like. 20, there was no 20, podcasting in ninety eight. Twenty four hours a day. Yeah, no. There's there are these. I don't know if you heard about it, but there's this big thing going on in Capitol Hill. I would imagine this is one of those things. Have you been undergoing more work because of this, or is it just this sort of perception that there's? so much of this story in the news has your workload changed because of this
0: it was grueling sure it's still content it's all content from one perspective of value in the marketplace certainly because you know if you think of the timeline or the shelf life of this material you're going to have the newsrooms on the broadcast side and stations who want to turn around sound bites very quickly get them back to air during breaks and things in context of you know what they're doing during their segments you'll have the newspaper folks who are also crafting stories around maybe if they can pull a thread through time which is another one where you know just in our own perceptions to watch and hear something is different from reading it which is kind of a time independent thing you're able to scan through a body of text that may have taken a half hour to develop and then do something with that but then 5 or 10 years on the line documentarians and people doing films and histories have a different interest in that same material so one of the great demands at fednet and you know certainly with those who use our products and services is the idea that you know really the bulk of that work has to be done in the golden hour the golden hour you know if you are a paramedic or something you know the chances of saving a life you know, once the call is placed. So, from the standpoint of 32 hours of these impeachment hearings that had occurred in the House Intelligence Committee, it's 32 hours of content on the streaming, on the video clips and sound bites type uh, uh, material that gets out the door, and those long hours. Absolutely, because we're gavel to gavel with those as well.
1: So as soon as the, the big networks and your big customers, they ramp up, we're going to gonna throw all of our resources out there, at it. You know that that means that you're going to be supplying a lot of that information there, and support. And video. In video. Uh, I joked at the time,
0: and I don't think it's entirely unfair, that there were more video feeds from different camera positions. I think there were seven cameras in the room covering nearly every angle there were more angles and more feeds of, of those events than there were for the Pope's visit in 2015.
1: Wow. So let's talk a little bit about, you alluded to the historical context of it, that you're producing a lot of information that, you know, may have a, a shelf life of a few days as a news story. But down the road, researchers come in and they see the importance of certain hearings and uh, votes for, you know, books, for movies, or whatever. What has been been sort of your experience with that? The experience is on and off. You don't
0: typically see in the movie theater things that are going to call upon straight footage of Congress. So probably most recently would be the McCain biopic. A couple years back uh, when he was on his way out, it's called For Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, It was an HBO film, but a lot of that content actually came through a redistributor. So I didn't know they did, but then we were in the credits, and you know that's always nice to see that and, and know you were you had done your small part. Now that said, there are feature films masquerading as documentaries, and we've seen uh, our footage there as well. So that video it, it gets out there. You know, once it's in the ecosystem, you almost never know when it's where it's going to go.
1: What do you see as the big challenge for, for you and your staff each day?
0: Whatever we confront next. Some days we just can't get past what's immediately in front of us, if that means allocating technology or what I call kits, so camera, lights, transmission, personnel. As I say, it's a small shop. So we we almost beat the odds every day in how we're able to capture what we need to and uh, do what must be done from the standpoint of uh, syndicating it uh, if it comes to the live stream. Uh, But also the live text feeds that we've gotten into, pretty exciting, very exciting. Or from the standpoint of uh, deadlines, because, you know, one line of work that we have is a continuous deadline, and that is the searchable floor video. Every five minutes, we are editing and publishing to the client's database the last five minutes of stuff. So regardless of how dense the action was, right, you could have a senator speaks for an hour, but you could have... 10 members of the House engage in debate or participate somehow on the floor in the space of 10 minutes. And so there's it, sometimes it's a little more compressed.
1: Yeah, everybody's standing in front of those large posters that they get made.
0: Well, you see them through time. So the trends these days are uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island has had a series called Time to Wake Up. And uh, this is about climate change and countering uh, narratives uh, in his view of Skeptics, right? You see how, how right. couched I am even on my own. I'm yes. often accused of having no convictions because I'm you know, too neutral about these things. But uh, people can form their own opinions. We are so far and away from opinions that uh, it's actually kind of remarkable these days and refreshing in a way because yeah. you're just there to do the thing, the sign. So his sign, it's a green sign. It's pretty well worn out by now, over 200 speeches over the course of nearing nine or eight
1: years by now. You know, when I worked at Federal News Radio, that was actually one of the nice things. I mean, you work at a news organization and, and you're, you're, you're supposed to be, you know, being opinion free, but by your very story choice, sometimes you're, and, and the sources you talk to sort of reflect some opinion thinking, perhaps. But what's appealing, you know, what was appealing at Federal News Radio, what's appealing to the type of work that you're doing, really can't really kind of factor in what you're doing. You have to, you know, what is the story going on? What is being said then? Let's report that. Let's get the truest of that, get it out to people, and let the other people.
0: And we're not even concerned with the story. We're not crafting stories. (laughs) Exactly. It's strictly raw materials for the folks that do, and hopefully we take requests also. But just as a general matter, what goes out the door helps to illustrate nearly any storyline that you would want to take from an event. So we're, we're not even... (laughs) Shaping stories. Now, I do agree with you. Every one of us is a human being. So I'm not sure you can form a sentence with complete objectivity before you get even into word choice. But I'll tell you, when we describe video and you think of metadata and that sort of thing, voice tends to be passive and just very matter of fact.
1: That's interesting. So looking back over your 11 years, is there a moment that sort of stands out for you where you can look back and say, yeah, that's us. That's something we did. That's something maybe that made a difference in a larger context. To me,
0: it's not so much about the output. I think the signposts of being a pioneer in the industry and and what we're up to, again, with this means of, of dissemination, that's exciting to me, but just as exciting, any new person I have come in for an interview, I always take them to the plaque of Samuel Morse, where the first telegraph was sent. That was in 1844. He was kind of a tinkerer. He had bugged the Congress for some money to play around and show off what he was up to. And uh, they did eventually. And in 1844, I think, he sent the first telegraph of the Baltimore Railroad. And his first, the first telegraph sent was, What Hath God Wrought? So the inside joke these days is when we connect the new position to our network, my first words back, you know, when I got picture and sound is, what hath God wrought? Because it was just within a couple years of that that the Associated Press and the wire services were born. And my point to these newcomers and interviewees is that there's really a straight line from that idea. And how ironic that it would originate from D.C. and actually from the nation's capital where the idea is to inform the public so far away.
1: Yeah, I think it's a probably a good place for us to stop. You said that it's a business-to-business website, but uh, you can go to FedNet.net and check out uh, your videos and links and all, some of your content there, right?
0: FedNet.net actually doesn't have a lot. It's just got the streaming video. You don't even really need to go past the homepage. There's well, a, a Twitter well, feed that kind of has the latest uh, in terms of the developments and things, but it's just straight streaming video. They're really the place for journalists to go. Okay. is FedNetNI.com, dot com. Okay, and that's short for News Intel, which is something we're very excited about because you have the video we've been talking about so much in these information services. When you get into transcripts, but these are live text feeds of press conferences every day, and uh, we've seen a lot of interest. Not so much, surprisingly. We had not predicted this at all, but video people, as much as newspaper folks, have been using news intel with the impeachment hearings and that coverage because it's live words that are beating the video, beating the broadcast. So someone may be monitoring for logging sound that they want to turn around or for something that they would want to quote on the the written side. And that's really where the excitement, I think, is in our operation these days. You don't have to go past the, the homepage at fednet.net. There's really nothing much to it, except, you know, kind of as a front facing thing. It, it, you know, kind of describes our services. But fednetni.com is the place for live words. And that is cutting edge stuff. I call it the frontier of news gathering.
1: Okay. Well, check that out. Michael, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a joy. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.